All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's pray, and then we'll get uh, we'll get rolling. Almighty God, thank you for another day. Thank you that you're here with us. Be with us as we open your word, as we talk about what it may mean for our lives. God, it is in and through your Son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are trying to finish out Acts 2, maybe get into Acts 3 today. Yes? Because last week we got through what parts? Does anyone remember what we got through last week in Acts 2? April, you look like you're about to say something. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. That's for those who were here. How about that? There was a storm, yes. There was this, the fire, the tongues of fire that descended, the coming of the Holy Spirit, yes. And then there was a whole thing with whose speech? Peter. Peter, there it is. Yep. So Peter's speech. And then we talked about the speech, turning from a speech into a conversation, right? Because it cut off and they said, what uh, then do we do? It says they were cut to the heart, the people who listen. And we talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit being conviction, how that is God's job, not our job, and how freeing that is, what it is to repent from expectations, right? Talked about that some. And so that's kind of where we are now. Um, so as we're getting into this, will somebody read for me? I have these new ones here for you. If anyone needs one, yes, uh, there's one right here. <laughs> Let me get it for you. I want to make sure everybody has one. Hey, thank you. There we go. All right. So, can somebody read for me Acts 20, 40 through 40, Acts 2, 40 through 20, 42? What's on the screen, please? <laughs> yes. Excellent. Thank you. What, uh, yes, what do we see? I'm curious about that, but where have we seen at the least 42 before? Where have we seen that before? The breaking, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of the bread and the prayers. So there was, yes, so what we're getting into, this is one of the literary features of Acts, it's called the summary statement. Right, and so we're going from it's this big zoom in to a big zoom out, right? So it's like here's what was happening, here's what was being said, here's some really specific stuff, and then it's just like and then there was this big devotion, and we're going to see that in the next section as well. But 42, think Anglican, think Episcopalian, think baptism, communion. Yes, so absolutely, the breaking of the bread and the prayers—that's communion. Is this? Think about the baptismal covenant. When we say that we, uh, we see uh, Christ in all people, right? We, can, we devote ourselves to that. We also, in the Anglican, in the BCP, um, have, we see this in um, our baptismal covenant, the breaking of the bread and the prayers, the teaching and the fellowship. So that's exactly where this comes from in our BCP. I don't actually have a BCP on me, but in the baptismal covenant, we devote ourselves to this very thing that the first converts in Acts also devoted themselves to. So as we kind of start to see this first century church, the first iteration of the church proper, we see the same thing that we're devoting ourselves to today 
is the same thing that they were devoting themselves to 2,000 years ago. So we're standing in this long vein, long, long tradition. So that's where we've seen this before. Anything else from that section before we move on to the next? Because we're in a summary statement, so it's just kind of flying through. Totally fine. Um, it's a ton, right? Yeah. Yes. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's possible, totally possible that they were just like, that's 3,000. That's That looks like about 3,000 people. But... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This many people can fit in that space. That's pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, a whole a whole mess of people. Yeah, a whole slew, a whole mess of people. Yeah, that's about right. It's like that's that's way it's either more than I can count or way more than I can count. Yeah, that's true. And most uh most like like where Jesus was from, Nazareth, was kind of a backwater. Right, far more than just your average town village in uh, Israel at this time. And Jerusalem's a big city, right? But it, remember, we are talking about Pentecost, the feast, the harvest festival, basically. And so there's a ton of people already there. Yes, yeah, that's and they stay from Passover, the 50 days, right? Pentecost. Um, so that is a ton of people, in fact. Uh, can someone read 43 through 45 for me? What's here? There's a big, big glaring thing here that is troubling, especially this day and age, right? Yeah, like a, a what appears to be a form of socialism, no? <laughs> like, uh, all things in common, uh, as any had need. That's, um, it sounds pretty much like that. Um, anything, what do we think about this? Because I've got some stuff, but I want to hear what y'all think is here. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody in the beginning of the church, everybody got along. Nobody had, nobody, nobody kept any kind of restraint, you know. Mm. And everything that's gone to <coughs> further south, mm -hmm. uh, since then. Mm. That's an interesting take. Mm-hmm. What does all things mean, right? Does it mean that they agreed theologically on everything? Well, probably. They probably it was intended that they all agree Maybe. I don't know if it was, though. Like, let's think about from the Last Supper. Was, the, was there an agreement between all of the, uh, all the apostles on what to believe? Even in the Book of Acts, we've already seen people not understanding, not agreeing with, not agreeing or understanding Jesus's message, right? We see them asking, when will you return the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus is like, you still don't get it. I died, I came back, I've spent 40 days teaching y'all about the kingdom of God, 
and y'all still don't get it. Like, this isn't about this. So all things in common, yes? Yeah. Like, on the surface, everybody in the has a vision. Sure. We all have vision. Yeah. In it depends on whether you're looking at it from a nitpicking perspective or a we all separate. We all look for guidance. We all have faith. Mm -hmm. and we all have this. So if you're looking at the big thing, yeah. they have this. Yeah. I agree. I think that's right. Like, um, one of my good friends from seminary used to say Judas was at the table, right? There has not been, from the beginning, there's not been a common thread. From the very beginning, there were disparate threads. And Judas was, you know, cut off and everything. But from the very beginning. Yeah, right. Peter wanted to fight, right. <laughs> and so I believe this all things in common has a lot more to do with how we use the word common with Book of Common Prayer, right? The Episcopal Church is part of the Anglican Communion, right? Does the Anglican Communion agree on everything? Famously not. <laughs> exactly. But what is the one thing that we agree on? It's how we worship, right? It's what we do with this book. It's common. Yes? They can, yeah. I mean, one of the things that within the Episcopal Church, even just our little corner, right, we have approved forms of worship that are supplemental to the Book of Common Prayer, right? But by and large, we do have the way that we worship in common. So if we take that, like, how we worship is what we have in common, even though we disagree on a whole lot, we see that selling their possessions and goods, distributing the proceeds as any had need, can be a form of worship right? If we're taking common worship as this thing that we are reading, we are actually reading that into the text, but we're using our experience to do that. And that's something we can't ever get away from. But when we see this as a form of worship, it makes some more sense. Um, this is, again, the summary statement continued. I said, is this a utopian community, like full-blown utopian, or sort of an ideal that was being lived up to? Um, even if it is simply an ideal, it's an, is it an ideal worth holding up and working toward? What about in our own lives? Do we see this sort of thing working out in our own lives? And I would say yes, we do. Yeah, exactly. We're St. Martin in the cornfields. We're doing this very specific thing, but we are distributing as people have need, right? We're doing a coat drive. And I'm not saying this is a big old pat on the back for us. Yeah, we're doing it. We don't have anything to learn or grow from. But this is a step in the right direction. Whether this is this church is not a utopian community. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who said, like, we have all things nitpicky, right, in common. But we do have the big things in common. And we're willing to be here. One of the things that I love about um, the Anglican style and the Anglican tradition is that we're not, in some ways, we are very interested in what divides us. But at our best, we're interested in the fact that regardless of what divides us, we come to the table together. We agree that this is where we're meeting. That our hmm? We agree to disagree. It's, and it's worth being together. It's, yeah. 
silly. It's silly, yeah. And it's, I think it's too much to ask. I think it's way too much to ask. It's an unrealistic expectation of a community to all agree on everything all the time. Like one of my favorite writers says um, she loves, I think it's Rachel Held Evans that says this, but when it comes to the Nicene Creed, one of the biggest and most important things to her is that we say we believe in God the Father. Because sometimes the person who's next to you saying it with their whole chest is believing enough for both of us right now. That like the days when this is tough to get a hold on, we as a community, we as a church, we as a communion believe this together. That's the we part of it, not the individuality, not the I believe this and so do you and we're all on board. It's worth coming to be here because there are people here holding us up. That's the we about it. So could this be an evangelistic strategy? I think it is, honestly. I think one of the things that drew me to this church was that fact, that people coming in and not having enough faith, enough money, enough whatever, could still be here, right? Again, not a pat on the back, but a, a kind of living up to the ideal that we do set. Is this enough? I think so. So anyway, um, 46 through 47, who's got it for me? Got it. Thank you. What do we see? Growth in the church. Shared meals. Yes, that's great, actually. I love that. No, that's something, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And was it the goodwill of the people who were part of the community? Or all the people? How is that? It seems like it could be a pretty insular community at the start, right? That they decided, like, all right, you who are here, this is our community, and it's bounded here. So how is it that they had the goodwill of all the people? Of all, I like that motion, of all the people. That's something to think about. Like a little. Um, um, of all the people, big, big. Um, but they went home. Well, actually, let's talk about this. In the first century, in the Greek familial structure under which we're working, most social groups would only meet once per month, some, and, I, most, and at most once per week. But what does our scripture say? Day by day, exactly right. This is an upsetting of the social balance. This is an upsetting of the social structure. So it is only something, this, this meeting on a weekly basis, this meeting on a daily basis, was only ever found within the familial structure. These are people that you would live with, right? So people seeing each other like this, Luke is making the implicit argument with the sharing of all things, with the daily meetings. Yes, April. Good question. Um, so governmental stuff? Um, like social groups, yeah. Yeah, so governmental stuff. Um, 
Yeah, the scholars and stuff. Like there was, so it's not like you had like a mom's group in first, in first century, in first century Jerusalem. Or maybe you did. I wasn't there. Uh, but the, the scholarship, the governmental stuff, like those, those sort of like social orders, really, and hierarchies and things. So, yes, go ahead. Yeah. Um, were these people not as tired as I am after working? <laughs> they were 12 hours a day. Uh -huh. So day by day, I, I, I don't know, there might be a little bit of liberty there. Sure. Day by every other day. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> well, think about how this was so different. So we've, we've grown used to the weekly thing. We've grown, grown used to, as a culture, the weekly thing. And then if we're really good, all saints, or uh, four saints on Friday, sometimes on Saturday, right? That's, that's like the, that's our kind of new social structure. But think about how this was so upsetting to that. How these people who would go from working 12 hours in a field, who were slaves, who were of every other social caste, how they would go from being just pretty insular with their own families to going into something brand new, something absolutely and totally upsetting the social order. It's a new thing, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, some, some rich person's home, yeah, at this time. Yeah. And especially for those who were like slaves and working in the field, they didn't have enough for their own families. And so to become a part of a bigger community that was able to provide, you want it. You want your kids to have enough. You want yourself, your spouse, everyone around you, the parents that you're caring for, like, to have enough. And so to have a community that does provide that, totally outside the bounds of normality. Yes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is something that you see in a lot of small towns or even like big cities sometimes because like everyone lives so close together and it's not like a hike to get the kids in the car and bring them to the church. It's like we're just going to walk there. And sometimes it was a bit of a hike, I suppose. But really what it was was this community was so close, so right here that it wasn't too much of a stretch, right? And so, like, our lives are being lived next to each other in a physical sense, not just a spiritual or emotional one. In a physical sense, we're living next to each other. So there is the, you need help, like in the Amish tradition, right? We're going to raise a barn because that's what this community does. <laughs> we're going to do that together. Oh, absolutely, as any had need, right? Like this is the, to the idea, and this is something that's popular in liberal Christianity in a big way, is that Christianity in its first iteration in the first century was all about the oppressed, the marginalized, all of this. And there's a sense in which, yes, that's absolutely true. There's also a sense, and we'll see it in the book of Acts, that there were a lot of very wealthy people <laughs> who took on the mantle of Christ. And because of that, because people had things to sell, in Acts 5, we're going to get to Ananias and Sapphira, which is a very scary story, but they sold a field that they owned, and they gave at least part of the money to the church. 
we're going to see in Acts 14 and 16, we're going to see Lydia of Thyatira, who is a wealthy businesswoman who, used, uh, who dyed cloth, and she bankrolled the church of Philippi. We saw in, um, in the first part of Acts, the, the other women who were in the upper room were likely the women who bankrolled Jesus's ministry all throughout Luke, some of whom were wives of high priests themselves, right? And so this kind of money that is now not just for the traveling ministry of Jesus, but is for the community, that's where they're getting all of that money. There are people who are preparing the food. And we're going to see when the role of the deacon comes into play, and I think Acts 4, um, Acts four or five, that that's kind of, their people aren't getting enough food. So immediately there are problems. This is a utopian community. It's an ideal, but there are immediately problems that are going to come up. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Oh yes. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because even in the next section we're going to see Peter and. John being dragged before the courts because they're like, you are preaching in Jesus' name, you are feeding the poor, you are making sure all these people are taken care of. It is a threat to structural power, but it is also a threat to societal structure, right? This is a thing that is brand new. And there are lots of times in the book of Acts where we're going to see people being dragged before for simply feeding people, for, for simply saying, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. That's a problem all of a sudden. Yeah, so very good point, yes. So, implicit argument here, family is no longer bound to blood or marital relations, but is founded on the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, the baptism into his death, resurrection, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German martyr, right? He's the guy who was part of a plot to kill Hitler. It ultimately failed, and he died in Tübingen, uh, April 9, 1945. But he wrote a book called Life Together, and he makes this argument that in the Christian community, it is not, we're not here because we like each other, right? Not necessarily. It's good if we do. That's fun. It's good if we do. But the reason that we're here is because the only thing that binds us together, the only thing that matters that binds us together is that Christ is between us. That when I look at Alan or I look at Keen or Thomas, when I see y'all, it is Christ in between us that binds us together. It's a decision that we make to be together because Christ is the one that ties us together. And I really love that, and I think that that's what we're seeing a lot in the end of Acts 2. This is what makes people family, the covenant of Christ's very body and blood. Any thoughts there? I think we are of the goodwill of all people. Yes, so we talked about this. um, And that, folks, if we have nothing else, is the end of Acts 2. And we did it. (laughs) We did another chapter. We're very good. Any thoughts before we move into Acts 3? What time do we have? Oh my gosh, we're going to start Acts 3. This is great. So any thoughts before we get into it? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. 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 Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, imagine if this was the only community that you had, right? Wouldn't you want to go? And on the days where your faith is like nothing, when it's nothing, when you have nothing, and you go somewhere where the people are like, nope, we still believe, and you're still here. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, we still, we still want you to be here. That's what we're seeing in this day by day. I really love that reflection. Thank you. Anything else? Okay. Hey, Acts 2 is done, folks. And I, used, I learned about Canva. You guys know about Canva? Yeah, I'm brand new. I love it. Um, <laughs> there we go. Look at this. See how nice this looks? This is Acts 3. I'm really excited. Do we? Well, that's what happens when we don't cross paths last week. <laughs> so Acts chapter 3. So folks, we have just moved out of the prelude, right? We talked about this as a symphony, and that kind of keeps coming up. That'll keep coming up more and more now that we're out of the prelude. But this prelude, we set up all of the themes that we're going to see uh, in big ways. This apocalypticism that's going to keep coming up. The... Um, like Christ is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Lots of different atonement theories are going to be seen. We're going to see this breakdown of the familial structure over and over and over again. We're going to see lots of stuff. And so I'm impressed we made it through all this. Honestly, I just wanted to see it one more time um, when I was writing it. Um, and next we are moving into what I'm calling the first movement, Acts 3 and 4, which I have Acts, I think all of Acts 3 here. Yes, um, Acts 3 and 4, um, it's just... Acts 3 is broken down into two sections. We've got Peter healing the beggar and then the speech at Solomon's porch. And then as a result of that, we're going to see that in Acts 4, Peter and John are arrested and their whole time before the courts, prayers for boldness and the sharing of possessions. We're going to see another one of those summary statements coming up again and again. Um, and so Acts 3. So we are going to read Acts 3, 1 through 10. Can somebody read that for me? I've got it up here, but you've also got it here. I would trust this more than what I've got because I'm so bad at proofreading the things that I put out into the world. There it is. Thank you. 
Thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I had more. Um, so we have just come from this big summary statement, right? The zoom out at the end of Acts 2, right? The sharing of everything day by day, big zoom out after Peter's speech, and we're zooming right back in. We're not really sure how much time has passed here, but we are looking at um, some of the, one of the things that I did here, this is one of the funny ticks about Canva, I realized. If I tried to uh, control U, underline anything, it always just uh, negated the U's. I don't know what that was, but very silly. Um, so people would lay him daily. So this is a guy who has been lame from birth, some kind of disability, right? This some sort of disability that is hindering him um, and the beautiful gait. I think this is one of the things that is important about this. Beautiful Greek word is horaios. It means blooming or flourishing. It's having to do with the human body. I think this is one of the times that we're seeing Luke as a master wordsmith, right? So it's not just about like physically where he was, but think of, thinking of this as a literary work, beautiful gate is not just like a nice place or just the name of something. This is having to do with the human body. And so this is, it's almost foreshadowing of what's about to happen. But this is about the blooming or flourishing of the human body more than just the aesthetic value of the beauty but the connotation of the embodied aspect as well so this is one of luke's really amazing things so where was the beautiful gate um likely the double gate i think i've got this on the next one yeah so right here this is the double gate kind of at the this is turned on its side because i could not fit it this way um but we are looking at the double gate right here. Um, and so he would be laid right here. And this is a pretty high traffic area because you can see this gate here is wider than all of the rest of them, right? This is where most people would be coming in to the temple. And so this is a very smart place for someone to, to, to lay down and ask for alms because people are going right into the temple. They, that's where you're going to beg. Um, wonder and amazement. Now this is something, this is, I wanted to get some more into the Greek language here. So stay with me. I, this was me wanting to prove that I did get a degree in this. So we have wonder and amazement. They were all filled with it when they saw that he was healed, right? Um, wonder is this word thombos, rendered immovable or stupefied. It's the same, it's from the same word where we get thrombus or a blood clot, right? So it's this, everything stops. Everything is changed. Everything is different. More than just whoa, that's cool. It's something that stopped them in their tracks. And this word wonder, there are lots of other words for wonder in the Greek New Testament. This is the only one that, that Luke ever uses, and he's the only one that ever uses it. Wonder, this thombos. And then amazement um, is this word ecstasis, or a casting down. This is what's interesting. It's a casting down of a thing from its former place or state, a displacement a throwing of the mind out of its normal state, or an alienation of the mind. Would you describe this as amazement? Yeah? Because that sounds like, um, it sounds ecstatic. This also sounds like trauma in some ways to me. Like this is an event, yes, go ahead. Right, but would you describe that as... Would you describe that as ecstatic amazement? Interesting. I wouldn't, personally. 
And I think that what is happening here, I'm not saying that this is a poor translation. I actually do think it's a good translation. But I think it's something that is worth looking into the Greek for. Because what Luke is doing here is he's not saying like, oh, this is such a cool thing. This is like, oh, this guy got healed. What a wonderful thing. This is a truly paradigm-shifting moment. Everything changes. What's the word I like to use, big A? It's apocalyptic. This is showing something that's brand new. This is something that has never happened before. Think about what it would be like to see someone that you see every day, day by day, day after day, a person who has been disabled every day of their life, to see them get up and walk. That's going to change the way that you think about things. That's going to change the way that you see the world. This is going to throw the, this is going to be, what is the, the definition? This is going to throw what was into what actually is. This is going to change the mind in such a profound and important way. You were going to say something. I was going to ask, like, what did Jesus have to do to overcome the power of obedience? One of the big changes was the fact that he could come into the temple. Sure. Waiting at the door, and the fact that he wasn't incomplete. Yes, he was ritualistically unclean. Yeah. 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 So, so, That's a big change as well. It is apocalyptic. It's yes, 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 because now he can become clean, and he's never been because he's been lame from birth, right? He well, <laughs> Peter does that's for sure. Uh, Peter absolutely does. But this is this is what it would be like. What would our reaction be to this? To seeing someone who has just been there forever, for as long as we can remember. It would be. <laughs> it's a problem, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And now every right. Now he has every right to be a part of this. Exactly. But they were still filled with this wonder and amazement, this throwing of the mind into something brand new. Yeah, I mean, that was, doesn't Jesus say, like, to the, like, who sinned to make this man blind? Was it his parents? Was it himself? No, no. And, yeah, absolutely. That's why he was considered ritualistically unclean because he is a product of sin or like the consequences of sin. Because <laughs> he, he's got a testimony now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, he was disabled, so it wasn't so much like he was having fun. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sort of a get out of That's a great way to put it. Yeah, sort of a get out of jail. And Peter's going to get into that, that it was, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's suddenly like, ah, oh, there's this guy. And now Peter and John, this is the whole thing, because they've upset a social balance again, right? 
because not only is this the day-by-day -day utopian community, but now here's this guy who's been sitting there forever and ever, and now he gets to go into the temple. And he, Peter's saying, that wasn't me that did it. He'll say this in a second. It's not me. I, this man was saved by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And people don't like that. <laughs> um, and then, what time we got? Okay, great. This is the last one, and then Alan's going to pick up for me next week because I won't be here. But this is not some trite, nice little story about someone being healed. It utterly upturned the lives of those who witnessed it. We talked about that. The point that Luke is making at this point in Acts is the working of the Holy Spirit is something that completely and totally destroys the ways of thinking, the expectation of normalcy, and conduct in the world. This is again, I'm going to talk about it again and again and again, but it's apocalyptic. It's changing everything. It's flipping it around. This is the working of the Holy Spirit, not just the coming of the Holy Spirit, destroying what was the expectation of normalcy, but the working out thereof of the Holy Spirit. So that's something we're going to take into next week. Everyone, I don't have a watch, but we're good to go. We made it through Acts 2. We're into Acts 3. Everyone, good work!